All right, gentlemen and ladies, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Peggy's Recovery Corner. This is a recovery podcast. Uh, today is December what twenty twenty first of twenty twenty one. Uh, welcome to the corner. My my special guest today is Danielle Gaskins. I love you. I love Thank I love you. that you finally got on here with me. Um, Danielle's a very special friend. She, I know her from the Prince community. We're both major major Prince fans, and I learned much later on that Danielle has a she has a a story, right? She's got a story. <laughs> so, um, Danielle, usually the way that we go when we do this podcast is we kind of delve into your past. We want to see. Um, who you were, you know, where you were born, how you were raised, um, what you got into, and then how you got out of it. Um, so first and foremost, welcome. Thank you, Pez. <laughs> um, so tell me, where, where were you born, Danielle? I was born in Anchorage, Alaska. Ala Are you serious? Yes, sir. I did not know that. Are you like a, a, a base kid or why, why there? So, um, and I only know this story because uh, I've only known this story for three years. So my mother, so I'm adopted. Uh -huh. My mom was a teenager, a white teenage woman. And uh -huh. obviously my dad was black. She okay. lived in Colorado in, a, in like a children's home with her siblings mm -hmm. and her parents were in other places. She got right. pregnant with me and, you know, in 19, in the seventies, that was a no-no, right? And so... Her dad was living in Alaska with um, a family. So the home called her dad. She's 16. Her dad comes, picks her up, takes her to Anchorage, drops her off at a Salvation Army home for unwed mothers. Wow. And so she gave birth to me there. And then my parents were military. They were stationed there. My parents who adopted me, a black couple, mm -hmm. they adopted me. And then I came down to L.A., you know. And I only know that I was I was um they probably I was in the orphanage for maybe a, under a year. Okay. Just some months, a few months, and then I work at the Salvation Army, so that's a whole other story of how I found her. They found her for me. Got it. Got it. All right. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> growing up in the orphanage, how was that? So I didn't actually grow up in the orphanage. I was adopted as a baby. Oh, okay. So I grew up um, and my and my parents were military, so we moved several times. So I lived all over. I went to 16 different schools, always the new girl, never fit in, always had trouble, um, hated it. And then uh, which part of L.A. were you in? So I spent most of my time in the Crenshaw area. We lived in Hawthorne. We lived all over Carson. But the, the, the neighborhood that I claim is the neighborhood that I was in in high school, and I still go there. And that's like Crenshaw area. I went to Crenshaw High School, and my friends, I'm still connected with my friends there. So I, okay. you know, I can't so, seem to stay away. What was it like going to Crenshaw High School? Like, uh, was it? <laughs> tell in the me. 80s? In it was the 80s. Rough. Was it rough? It was like, rough. in what way? Um, I mean, well, there was obviously gang activity and all that shit. The gang activity was strong, drive bys. I mean, friends. People that I knew that were my age that were just going to school with me were getting gunned down. Um, uh, and I was like, yeah, I was very proper speaking, very, you know, uh, wore fluorescent socks and things like that. So it was, it was rough in the beginning. And then I just picked a group of girls who liked to fight and I hung out with them for protection. They, li they I, liked to fight? 
I hung out, yeah, they like to fight. And so okay. I hung out with them for safety. And then I ended up being part of that. And so I just adopted this whole tough exterior to sort of keep people away. And so they didn't know how chicken and scared I was inside. Um, Did you ever join a gang or anything like that? Or was it just no, these girls? Just dealing with females. Yeah, no, I, I would say I was affiliated because I lived in a neighborhood and you know, I was friends with some of the guys, but I was really, I didn't really understand a lot of the things that were happening until later in life when I actually was involved in things. And I'm like, oh, that's what was happening then. Okay. Um, so when you say later in life, when you actually were involved with gangs, how old was that? With things. Well, I was in just in my oh, drug things. life. My What's drug that? life. In my drug life. Drug life. Okay. okay. My, so yeah. Let's back up and go back to high school again. All right. So yeah. when you're in high school, um, were you obviously there was partying, right? People were partying. They were going to kickbacks, backyard so, boogie, things so like that. So my parents were extremely strict. So, so they, I had to they do. They wouldn't my allow dirt. you to go out. No, so I would cut class and do those things. Okay. Um, and what and so you by do the time you I was doing those things, what, what, grade, what kind of things were you doing? I had sophomore credits, <laughs> and when my parents found out, I had never gone to school. Um, we moved to the Bay Area, and I went to a school called Mountain View High School for my last year. This was your senior year? Hmm? Well, your senior year? Uh Uh-oh, we have a bad connection. Really? Was that your senior year that you moved to Mountain View or to the Bay Area? You're not hearing me, huh? Hmm. Yeah, I can hear you, but you're breaking up. Hmm. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Clearly. Yep. You're freezing. Ah! <laughs> well okay if you can hear me can you hear me maybe it's my connection i can plug in my um my hard wire to see if it's me go ahead and do that okay i'll do that she has a wonder woman label on her chair can you hear me I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can, but it sounds, it still sounds. Oh, wait. There you are. You're better? Blinking. Okay, there we go. Okay, good. All right. So you moved to San Francisco. Before you moved to San Francisco, mm-hmm. that was your senior year, correct? Yeah, I moved. Well, I moved there a couple of times. I moved there in the ninth grade. We moved around a lot. Um, right. so, uh, so, so before I, when you used to di- cut class and go to your yes. friend's house, what yes. were you doing there? Were you smoking weed? Drinking forties mm-hmm. and <laughs> and and smoking weed, or at least trying. It wasn't. It didn't. It didn't click with me right away. I was just doing it to be cool. I was mm-hmm. the one that would drink a little and 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 act drunk, but not really be drunk because I wanted to fit in. It right. took me a while for things to, to stick. I'm so happy that you brought the hard wire on because now we can clearly see your face. Before it was a little bit blurry. Oh yeah. You should have done that in the very first place. Anyway, it's all good. So okay, so. Went to Mountain View High School. Yes. Were, you partying, were you partying up there too? 
So when I got there, I started going to parties there and, and the parties there were different from the parties in LA where they would just stand around this keg and everyone had these red cups and they, and I'm just, there's no music. I'm like, what is this? What, this is weird. So of course I gravitated to the people that were smoking weed and, and drinking brown liquor and things like that. I found my people and I started to get in trouble a little bit there too. Yeah. What kind of trouble? Well, I would just get um, get really drunk and not come home or um, come home and my parents would see my eyes were bloodshot or my teacher, I would go in the bathroom and smoke weed and come right to class and the teacher would be like, really? Like the whole, I reeked, you know, things like getting in fights, things like that. In my so you were a fighter year. too? You yeah. Used to hang out with the tough girls and you ended up becoming yeah. a fighter. Well then, when I moved to Mountain View, it's like people knew that I was from LA and they wanted, they challenged me a lot. Like there, the black community was very small at that school, <clears throat> excuse me. And so they would challenge me. So I had to, trust me, I was scared inside, but they would have known it. You would have right. thought I was just Billy badass, right? But right. I really was just super scared. You got some Prince peeps uh, sending some love. There's- Hey, Jayla, oh, Jeremiah here's, in the house. Here's a, Debbie, she said, yeah. I love you, Daniel Gaskins. Wow, so interesting. All right, here's so Stacy Nicole Carrera. All right, so, yes. so moving along, like, so you ended up being up there for a little while and then moving back down to LA. This is like, so uh, no, I say, so when we moved to the Bay Area, my senior year is 1986 um, or something like that. Right. So I did my senior year and then I stayed there for the next, I don't know, I came of age there. That's where I did all of my, that's where I, I learned how to drink. I was a drinker. I was a binge drinker in the clubs, but I would get these great jobs in Silicon Valley. So, you know, I present very well and I would get these jobs that I was underqualified for, but it paid really well. When you and were drinking, was it, yeah. was it hard liquor? Yes. So I drank beer. I didn't discriminate. I drank brown, a lot of gin, a lot of brown liquor. Hennessy was really popular back then. Um, gin was really popular. Seagram's, Super Saco and gin, or I would drink Snapple and gin. Um, mm -hmm. And then we had this thing, gin will make you sin. That's why we stick to him. So when I started drinking, switched to brown liquor, thinking that I would get in less trouble. Mm -hmm. um, that did not help at all, as we know. When did you start to get into heavier drugs? And what um, were they? So when I was 15 years old back in LA, I stole a joint from my uncle and smoked it uh, with my boyfriend and some friends. And I didn't know till later that it was Sherm. Mm -hmm. um, I had never smoked weed before in my life. I just stole it and I wanted to be cool and fit in once again. And it was, ended up being a, a terrible experience. Um, what happened? Uh, uh, let's just say it was, it turned out really bad. Like the first thing I remember was sitting up on a balcony and I was upstairs and, and my boyfriend, mind you, we were just like innocent, like what you would think we were just an innocent relationship, just hanging out. So I'm up here with him and I'm looking at myself down there talking to his mom. I started freaking out and rolling around on the floor, like panicking. Um, cause we smoked it in like this toilet paper roll with tape on the end of it and they put the the joint and the I just never done anything like that so the, the it, it just went all south from there I was I worked at my mom's job I was supposed to be to work my uncle snitched on me and said I stole his joint and so when I finally like got back to the office 
I mean, it was obvious I was in bad shape. And so that was like the first time my family was exposed to, um, you, you know, me doing drugs. Okay. Yeah. And then later on? So later on, it was, uh, so later on, I was hanging around people who did crank. This really yellow. I remember crank. Yes. And so. That wasn't that biker dope. That was that yeah, jet fuel. That's who I used to hang out that was one of sometimes my sometimes came in different friends. varieties of colors. Sometimes it would be like yellowish, uh, brown. brown. Yeah. Sometimes it was pink. Yeah, you know, there was different types. Yeah. yeah, and my motto was, "It's not an everyday drug," because the come down was horrific. So I would just do it sometimes, like when I drank. I didn't drink every day. I was a binge drinker. I drank when there was parties or the club or bowling or football games or basketball games or. You were introduced the, to crank in Northern California, or in Northern California, huge up there, in Northern California. Because yeah. I didn't, there wasn't much crank in the hood, not down in South. No, Central. oh yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. no, there was not. Okay, that, so that, so when did you leave the Bay? Did was there? Were you back and forth from the Bay to LA so for a long I moved, time? I was back and forth, but when I moved there when I was sixteen, and I stayed until I was twenty-eight. Um, in the Bay so, Area. In the Bay Area, and but my drugs of choice were um, ecstasy, um, crank, and then later ice. They called it ice at that time, but that was crystal. Um, still smoking weed, and and definitely a drinker. I was the drunk of all of, of every group that I hung out with. I was the one that was going to get in a fight or have a problem. You know, that was I was definitely the drinker. And then my friends, like my black friends, didn't know about my drug use because they didn't really do that stuff. They just smoke weed. Yeah. Right. So um, I just compartmentalized my whole life and my whole social situation. Um, and I would say it didn't really it, it didn't. I really was able to. The drinking got me in trouble a lot. And my right. ex-husband used to come and save me all the time. Like I've had bad things happen from drinking. Acting out, doing dumb, acting shit. out, doing dumb stuff. I used to boost. I was a booster. Oh, man, I was so good at it. You want to explain like had, what boosting is for, boosting is, for is, is, So I would take orders. These girls, they were really good. I was like the the uh, the uh, what do they call it when you're the apprentice? They would call me the apprentice. So you get orders from people and you go to department stores and you steal the stuff and right. then you sell it to the people and make a profit. Right. So we paid for nothing. Like gas back then, you you pump first, right? Christmas tree, we paid for nothing. Nothing. I had no, and I did not feel bad about it at all. I just knew I couldn't smoke weed before I went because I would get paranoid. Education-wise, did you just yeah. finish up to high school or did you go to college, yeah. university? So I graduated from high school with 1.63. So obviously I had to go to uh, summer school. <laughs> I walked across the stage with an empty thing. Um, mm -hmm. And then I just, I started, it's like I had two sides. I had the side of me that knew she had something in her that wanted right. to do something that looked at other people that were doing what I thought I should be doing. And I would try to emulate them by getting these good jobs and starting in, in community college with various degrees. But I would, I would never, I, I was never able to, you know, because my complete. social, the partying was too important to me. Right. Okay. Um, so you said 28, you were back in LA. Yes. What so happened? what I, so when I came back here, um, I came back here and then my boyfriend who I met in high school, we ultimately got married. He's my son's father. Um, he came down a couple months later um, and we were just trying to find jobs, living with my family. Um, I ultimately got pregnant. I was 29. 
Mm -hmm. And, um, and prior to that, I was, I was drinking, like I knew I had a, I knew I had a drinking problem since I was 19 years old. So I continued the drinking. Um, And uh, when I was pregnant with my son, we we finally got our own place. I was pregnant with my son. And I told you, I, I was struggling, like I wanted to drink so bad. So I would be like, okay, I can drink red wine. Or Boone's Farm, that's red, right? Right. And Boone's and, Farm, strawberry wine. Oh yeah, that strawberry hill, that was the one. If I mm-hmm. took two bottles, I was good. Three, and I'm telling everybody off and telling my mom how wrong she is, was, and she owes me an apology, and it was terrible. So I was had a little bit of guilt there because I didn't drink a lot, but there was a couple of times when I would have Boone's, you know. So this, this is all in LA, right? Yeah, this is all in LA. Okay. So after my my baby was born. I breastfed, I was, I pumped milk. I wanted to drink for New Year's. This mm-hmm. is 1999. This is ready to the joy fantastic time. That's right. So I pumped enough milk I, so that I could start drinking and I stopped breastfeeding my son so that I could continue to drink so I could go back to drinking. And that's something that I still struggle with. Not, he did fine. I mean, formula's fine once the milk ran out. But that was like, you know, that was definitely a huge red flag, but no one knew my reasoning. Um, Fast forward a few, maybe a few months, I started trying to, I I knew that no one in LA, no black people were doing crystal back then, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. My friends were, you know, mainly. So I lived in Studio City, but I had friends there, neighbors, people I'd hang out with, bars. So I I went to this bar and I, you know, we find each other. Is bars across the street from my house. I had a kid. I'm going over there, baby fat and everything, going to the bar by myself to have a drink. And some, I struck up a conversation with this guy and it came up. I was asking him if he knew where I could get some. He says, well, I can take you somewhere. So then he took me to, in the valley, this is in the valley. So he took me to um, Sepulveda a Street in the valley and mm-hmm. uh, he bought crack. You'd never and done crack before until this never, time? No, absolutely not. That was Did like- you- did you know what you were getting into? Did you think like I mean, you never seen cluckers in the hood back in so the day? So that's why. So that's the thing. So crack was like whack, right? Because you see strawberries and everything in the street growing up. That's right. right. Explain um, what strawberries are, because some people don't know what strawberries are. Strawberries are are, are drug addicted women who prostitute themselves for for the crack. That's right. right. Um, and so I so I went we went back to his apartment. And we did it, and it was great. Now this is past the free base days, so I'm sure it wasn't as good as it was in the '80s, but it was good enough, right? I felt I, I used to free base so, in the '80s myself. I missed that train. Yeah, well, probably I'm a good thing. To... <laughs> probably a good thing. I work yeah. with people every day who are still on that train, and they got on in the '80s, so I, I see the damage. Yeah. Um, so I felt so guilty because I knew it was wrong. The next day was Thanksgiving. There was all kinds of crumbs in my seat. I threw the crumbs away like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did this and threw it all out. And, um, you know, but I didn't realize that it had already it had already gotten me. So I began to sneak smoke for a while until I had to like I couldn't be in the house. I had to go out and I started, you know, I couldn't be in the bathroom for hours and have any more excuses anymore. Um, My son and my husband, they had no idea because they'd never seen anything like this before. How long did it last? This whole addiction. Uh, so uh, let me back up. So when my son was 18 months, I went to my first treatment. This is before the crack. Mm-hmm. When I went there, I, I learned a lot in treatment. And so I kind of, 
I did kind of like, I guess I wasn't ready because I came back wanting to do drugs more. So then that experience happened. I'm and sorry, I when say, you say you went to treatment, where did you yeah. go to treatment? Like a, a, a major treatment center? I went to a rehab in Miami, yeah. Because I had I passed out drunk with like mask on my face. My son and we're home alone. He's in the swing screaming. I passed out. And it just it scared me. And and so I went through the phone book and I found a place and they flew me out to Miami. Okay. I was there for a month. All right. And then and I made how up long a lie to come back for? One month. Made up a lie. Came back home. Went to the Bay. San Francisco 49ers are playing the Raiders, and I decided it was a good reason to have a drink. And so I was off again. Okay. That lasted for my runs usually last about a year and a half. My body doesn't hold up long. And then I get sober for a few years. My body just uh, can't handle the drug use. Okay. So over the years, you, you went to treatment a bunch of times. A lot of times. A lot of I times. I went to. Um, I, I always say double digits. When you add treatment, sober living, detox, psych board visits, that all adds up to a double digits, like in the 20s. Was the psych ward visits because you were having mental breakdowns because of alcoholism or addiction or both? Uh, addiction, really. Yeah, because we, I, I, I wasn't, even though I knew kind of what it did, I didn't really understand. And so I was also diagnosed with bipolar when I was 17. And so, um, but I didn't get medicated until 27. It seemed like things got worse when I started trying to get on the medication. Mm -hmm. um, and so we were just trying to figure out how to help me stop. And so we tried meds and my ex-husband was desperate to try to find, you know, someone to help me. And so he, he took me to uh, MLK and then I go and I talk to a lady. <laughs> I thought I was going to go get my meds straight. So I talked to this lady. She has me sign a form. She says it's for my meds. As soon as I signed it, this big old metal door closed. And then I was like, oh, my God, where did my son and my husband were walking away? And I was like, I was trying to say goodbye to my son. I was like, what's happening? And she's like, you can't. It was a 5150 because mm. she asked me, have you ever um, had wanted to do harm to others, yourself or others? I was like, well, yeah, others. But I was talking about a long time ago. I didn't know what she meant, like, currently. So when I said that, she locked you me up. You said the wrong thing. Get she her. locked me up. But I got out the next day because there was this guy there was, like, telling me. He was like, just be cool. Just be calm. When the doctor comes in tomorrow, you just tell him what happened. Just don't freak out. And the doctor will be, you know, listen. So they let me go. And then when I got home, my husband was so upset because he wanted me to get help. But he didn't know how else to get me help for, um, because the crack just totally changed me. I mean, how I had, long did you say you, you continued this crack habit? I would say I had um, three stints of it, and each time it would last for about a year or 18 months. Okay. And then um, after a while, because of addiction and all that, did you experience homelessness? So the homelessness came in. Um, I actually experienced homeless, homelessness with my parents. Like we, I've had homeless situations with my parents, with my husband, um, and also with myself. So my homelessness came because I had, I had to leave the home because mm -hmm. I was in the streets, but I had a, a home and a husband and a son. And if it, eventually that was it, like I had to go. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was in sober livings and, you know, trying to get it together. And then I would relapse for one reason or another, usually because I wasn't working any steps or going to any meetings. And did any of your homeless stints end up yeah. in in Skid Row? Yeah. So that's so that is, and that is the it ended up being a beautiful thing. 
So I was going downtown. Um, people who are down there don't call it Skid Row, they just call it downtown, right? right. So I would go downtown to cop, right? And um, eventually I started staying in the motel circuit up and down the streets, up and down 7th Street there. I met all the people that I met and was ripping and running around down there for uh, about two years. And um, it was, I was trapped. I was stuck. I was stuck. You get stuck down there. So you weren't there. always homeless. That wasn't like sleeping in a tent. Absolutely not. Okay. I did sleep. I slept outside maybe two nights in a previous stint um, because I had, there was this guy that I was running around with. He beat me really, really bad. And, Say that again. Um, what? I, there was a guy that I was, because I always had to have a guy to protect me, right? Out there, like someone I was associated with so that people would leave me alone. So this particular one, um, he beat me within an inch of my life and he wouldn't in, in case, this is what i want to ask you daniel yeah. what why would if, if he was supposed to be protecting you what would happen to where he would beat you was he he so he he was protecting me from other people but why would he because be it was like a territorial thing it wasn't because there was love involved it was because i it was his and so he people wouldn't mess with me that way but he um he was an addict too. He was an addict. Yeah. So, so there was there was drugs yeah. involved, obviously, oh, like yeah. to the point where oh, there was just the arguments and the shit that happens when you're fucked up. Yeah. Right. Okay. So uh two years you were down there, right? Yeah. Staying in motel. So you've seen some shady shit. Yes. I've seen so, like I was telling when we were talking about this yesterday, I mean, it's like a third world country. It's like it is. people motherfuckers are zombified, like straight. Yes. Walking down the street like with no souls, right? Just yeah. out of their minds, and and sometimes yes. there, it seems like there's no turning back. Like they'll they'll never get their lives back because they're so shot out. Yes, probably yes. a lot of mental health uh, that that's coupled with addiction down there. You know, people yeah. are talking to themselves, talking to the sky. You know, seeing all kinds of stuff. Probably a lot of murder and things like that. Yeah, they um, people. Uh, there's a, there's a few ways that that um, that I've experienced or, or seen people get you know taken out. They would uh, put like battery acid in their in their whatever their drugs were or throw light the tents on fire. Just terrible. Um, there's a lot of evil down there for sure. Um, that's for sure. And if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. That's for sure. I yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen some miracles come out of there. You're one of them, most I'm definitely. One. <laughs> Most yeah, definitely. yeah, um, and I know that I wouldn't be doing what I do now if I didn't go through that. There's no way I would be down there if I didn't go through what I went through. There was, I would not be prepared for it or have the passion. How did, how did you get off those streets? So I had, so I had kept going to treatment out in my. I still was married, so I had really good insurance. So I would go out to Newport Beach and Costa Mesa and get like treatment out there. And but there was a guy that 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 I was sort of connected with down there that I kept leaving and going back to, right? And so this guy went to jail and I knew he was about to be getting out. And so I'm like, oh, when he gets out, we have to be out of here because if he's down here, then he's going to go back to doing all that stuff again. And so I decided to move out of the place that I was living in downtown. I was holding it down. I was holding down his business. I would survive by the grace of God. Absolutely not because I'm so smart. Um, yeah. So I left out of there and we went and stayed with his mom for a short time. And then I went to treatment out at, um, in Pasadena, I went to Las Encinas. I've been there yeah. a lot of times. Um, yes. 
And I ended up leaving the program because it just didn't, I really didn't feel like it was going to help me. Um, and normally I'm the one I go, I program well, I'm a star pupil, all of that. Yeah. Um, I left and I ended up getting invited to church by his mom. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, where do you go to church? I go to church at the Salvation Army. Uh, the Salvation Army is the Salvation Army. You guys have church in the back of the thrift store. Like, what do you mean the Salvation Army? Mm -hmm. So I go there, and it's actually inside of a shelter. And I'm like, what is this? I'm seeing people from downtown. You know, um, I went there and just never left. God literally just grabbed a hold of me in there, in this church. And so I, I, I that's where you got over. Yeah, pretty much. I was two weeks. Two weeks out of ago. all these treatment centers that you went to, you ended up getting your life back at the Sally, at the they Salvation Army. My, you know what? No, yes. they don't mess around. Yes, and it wasn't a program. I oh, just wasn't felt, it wasn't the actual six month no, program living? No, not the ARC. I didn't do that. I was just going to the church. I go to the church on Sunday, and I just felt connected. Then I was like, hmm, maybe I could join this choir. This choir is not too intimidating. I'm going to join the choir. And so then I started doing that. Meanwhile, living in motels as agency, I had, I was waiting on my section eight. I had EBT, I had SSDI, all the things. And I always felt like God had more for me. Like I was, I was, uh, I was doing this, but I, I felt like he had more for me, but I didn't really know how to get out from underneath all of that. Um, about a year and some months in one of the officers who's like the pastor of the boss offered me a job going to Skid Row because he said, I'm a tall white dude and I'm a goofy white dude and I'm not going down there. I need somebody who's not afraid to go down there. I'm like, what? You're going to give me a job going downtown? This is crazy. I'm like, I can't, I can't even believe this. So I, but I did take two months to make the decision because going back to work, I hadn't worked and held a stable job for a very long time. So you that were sober me. during this time when all this I was, was sober. Going. I was about a year sober. And you've been I, sober since? Yeah, since 2016. Okay. Wow. So it was 2016, huh? Yeah. Ain't it a trip? Because we're around the same age and we've been yeah. Prince fans for many years and I've known you for many years. Yeah. Many years, like mm -hmm. many years. Ain't it a trip that as much as we were fucked up in our addiction and alcoholism over all these years, <laughs> we still somehow were connected to the Prince community and going to the concerts and going to Wherever we needed to go, the TV shows and all the shit yes, where Prince was out. For me, like truly, like during my addiction, I, I believe that Prince wasn't just the soundtrack to my to my life, like his style, his music, and everything. But he helped me through my toughest times. I believe through some of his songs to really go deeper within myself and and yes. and, and be more God centered and wanting to to. To be a powerful force and become somebody better, like because he did. I mean, he look look who he became. It just trips me out that in 2016, when you got sober, our man actually died from a fentanyl overdose, which would never have been right. something that we would have expected with him because he was so wow. anti-drugs. He wasn't a drug user. That in a traditional like right. he, he he was dependent upon something for real legitimate pain, and then looks look what happened to him. Right. So. I'm so happy. I didn't know that you got sober in 2016. Two I know that you know. After, two weeks before he passed. Wow. And that's and how know... I got connected to everyone. Because when I when I go on, on my runs, I stay away from everybody. I don't right. go around people like that. And I went to the 
to um, the city hall thing. And that's how I got reconnected with my bum squad family and some other family. And, you know, yeah. So when you got sober in 2016, this job took place. And this is where you've been working ever since. Ever since. So I went so from that gonna, position. You were working for the Salvation Army yes. in downtown where some people call Skid Row. Yeah, right. 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 That would be accurate. helping the less fortunate that yes. are homeless, addicted, alcoholic, mental health. You're being All a service. That. You're being All a service. You're doing God's work, helping people. Yeah. It's amazing. So now you get to be on the other end of it, on the other side of it, where you actually get to help these people. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. That's powerful. That's everything to me. That matters more than so many things that so many people make a big deal. Yeah. Because I've been homeless and I've lived on the streets and I've and I and I've been in my addiction and just lost, yeah. just a lost individual. And people ask me like, why do you put so much effort into helping people? Because I've been there, man. Because yes. I, it, it hurts my heart to see people suffer, you know. And it's not like people that are just down in Skid Row or in downtown are just like broke or people from the hood. There's all kinds of motherfuckers down there. Yes. There's I people that have people, PhDs yes. and shit, right? There's yes. people that I know there's, a judge. Right. There's white people from Middle America that end up there, right? Yes. yes. Homeless, lost. You know, and it's like they're in a, just in a, an abyss of addiction to the, they don't even know how to get out. They don't know, like, so you are the hope. You continue to keep letting them know that this was where I was and this is who I am and this is what we do. Yes. You know, I know yesterday we, we talked, uh, uh, we talked a lot about being nervous to come on here to be transparent and talk about this stuff because it brings up old feelings and and feeling judged and i just want yes. you to know something like keep doing what you're doing because you don't know whose lives you're touching we don't i don't have a large following on youtube this this is this ends up on youtube right but and you never know where it will get but every once in a while somebody might be watching something and if they hear your story and and you are the inspiration like you basically you changed your life. Yeah. Some people don't ever come back. You know what I mean? Like I, I told you too. Like I go to these cocaine anonymous meetings, and um, no, oh my god, I just broke my own anonymity. But I, don't, <laughs> I don't really give a shit at this point. I'll just say it right now. I go to these meetings and I sit in them, and especially like when I go to speak in South Central or Compton and places like that, I sit in the room, and and obviously there's a lot of blacks, like yeah. lots of blacks, because for a long time. And it's been happening for decades now. The black community, their crack has been pumped into those communities. Yeah. Uh, people, there's people that sling dope. There's people that uh, it, it originated in other ways when it got down right. to the hood. But when I sit in these meetings and I listen to these people and the way that they share and talk, just with conviction, with vigor, with, I'm just like I'm just sitting there going. These motherfuckers were straight up crackheads, like just clucking on the boulevard for a while, right? To the point yeah. where you never knew if they were going to come back. And look at them now. Like they are people that are workers amongst workers. They are community leaders. They're doctors. They're physicians. They're, they're lawyers. They've gone back. Some of them are working in banks after like right. having no credit or even or even being bank robbers former bank robbers like it's, it's amazing 
how we can overcome and rise above yes. the, that lifestyle and the addiction that 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 we have taken on. I I I adore you. I think you're a great great woman. You know, I, I love the work that you're doing, and I want you to keep doing it. I want to actually come down there and see it with my own eyes. You know, because I do. Oh, I would love to. You could come help me. You could come help me hand things out. I would love that. Yeah. I would, you let me know. You just, I'll bring people. You know what yeah, I mean? I want to show. I want to. I want to show some of the newcomers that are in some of my houses, like what what reality, like where it could really go. And I don't want to give anybody ideas of where they could go around the corner. Exactly. Yeah. But definitely, like what how we come on the other end of this, like this is beautiful. You know, just keep on doing what you're doing because. You've tapped into your soul. I, I I love I love what you're doing. You know, I appreciate you, you coming so on the show today. You you're the you're the best. Thank you, Cash. You keep doing that stuff. Okay, you too. You too. All right. And All I right. want to thank everybody that tuned in. We had a lot of Prince fans and a lot of other friends that were watching today. Um, yeah, you just keep on being the the powerful force that you are. You're a lovely mm -hmm. soul. Bless you. All right. Thank you. Okay, Cash. All right, Talk bye. soon. Bye. See ya.